I got into this because I'd had enough. I was fed up, but I got to put my words into action because I felt that at that moment when I spoke to the Board of Supervisors, there was millions of people listening. As I've sort of become a leader in this movement, I've realized that people want nothing more than to get on board to get their freedom back. If my voice gets heard and helps people, then this has all been well worth it. If my kids have a better America to live in, then this is absolutely worth it. I really don't like this stuff. I never wanted to be part of a production or a movie or, you know, I'd rather be out in the fields fighting somebody. This is the way that we fight. If this is the way that we inspire uh, people to move forward and, and to come on board with us, you know, for the win, then I'll be here. So. My fellow Americans. It is time to take our freedom back. Hey. Hey, hey. How's everybody doing? Good. How are you Good. guys? New week. Yeah, yeah. How's it going? <laughs> we, we, John's to, with to, us. Today we have a special guest. We have a retired U.S. Armory, uh, U.S. Army Major Will uh, Osten. He is the founder and CEO of Arc of Justice, which is a nonprofit organization that advocates for wounded warriors and who are still on active duty. Um can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and let us know, you know, how you got to where you are right now and, and why you're doing what you're doing? Well, how's it going, gentlemen? It's great to be with you finally. Yeah. Heck yeah. It's another good day to be alive. So I started Arc of Justice. I launched it on Veterans Day of 2019 uh, because I became the tip of the spear for a new problem uh, that came up. A bureaucratic agency called Defense Health Agency was created by Congress. And on New Year's Day 2018, uh, they took over all the management of the wounded warriors still on active duty in the military. So I'm not talking about veterans. I'm talking about guys still on active duty. And so going back to General George Washington and the Continental Army at Valley Forge, military wounded warriors always enjoyed something called open door policy with their commanders. So if they were being mistreated, you know, by being wounded or, you know, they had an issue, they could always uh, go up the chain of command and try and get relief. Well, that was 245 years of unbroken military tradition that ended on New Year's Day 2018 when a civilian bureaucracy took over the management of the wounded warriors. I was diagnosed uh, with a, a pretty serious illness uh, from my deployment to Afghanistan. I'll get into my military service here in a second. So I was diagnosed the day after and basically, instead of getting up to a year to try and fight to get healthy, to stand active duty, they kicked me out immediately. They just started the process. And when I went to the bureaucrat who was in charge of the process for, for my case at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, 
you know, I said, hey, ma'am, you know, you made a mistake. I'm supposed to get up to a year of treatment. I want to fight to get healthy. I'm a warrior. You know, just let me try. Let me I love wearing the cloth of our nation. Let me just try it. That at that point, I've been on for over 10 years. And uh, she looked at her little computer and said, oh, you're right. I did make a mistake. You shouldn't be enrolled. And I said, well, great. Then, you know, let me go. Johns Hopkins, let me get some treatment. She said, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, why not, ma'am? And she goes, because I say so, you're just a number to me. That's wow. exactly what she said. Wow. And so what had happened is since 9-11, you know, the less than one half of 1% of the population has fought the nation's wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so a lot of us, you know, I only deployed twice, but some of my brothers have deployed six, seven times. And so your body starts to break down. So from 9-11, 2001 till 2018, they were trying to keep everybody in because there's no draft. You know, it's the same people. They're recycling through deployments. But then 2018, you know, President Obama had you know done sequestration and cut the troop numbers. And then they were just trying to cut us even more. So DHA came in and they were like, hey, we don't need you anymore. We're winding down the wars. And so the pendulum swung the other way. And they started to just totally destroy the careers of, of people who have fought these wars. So I realized they're doing this to me. I was an Army JAG major attorney with a special operations background. If they're doing this to me, and I've been a general's aide for the top lawyers in the Army, they're doing this to me. What are they doing to the 19 or private? Well, he has no hope. Uh, so that's why I founded Arc of Justice. So so um, what I understand is that um, um, the the DHA and, and the actual uh, the Army are kind of like blaming each other, right, for who has the responsibility. It kind of reminds me, I was listening to uh, some of your other podcasts and some of the stuff got brought up, but, um, you know, there was a time where one of uh, a dog got hit out on the highway where I lived and the county and the city were arguing over whose responsibility it was. And it kind of reminded me of, of, of that. So maybe you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. So so I fought for 20 months and I went up the military chain of command using all the contacts that I made with the generals. I actually got to the, the top of the army and they were like, hey, Major Osten, you're right. We're so sorry for what happened to you. And they pointed the finger of blame at Defense Health Agency. And so then I went up what's called the chain of responsibility of Defense Health Agency, met with the top assistant secretary of defense there. And he said, we're so sorry for what happened to you. The military was responsible. <laughs> so both of these like billion dollar entities were pointing the finger of blame at each other. And that created a gap through which wounded warriors are falling through. So since Veterans Day 2019, uh, launching with Shannon Bream, Fox News at Night on national news, I've represented 52 clients pro bono. I found, you know, what's happened to me is happening to others. The gap is still open, unfortunately. And we are trying to pass a landmark legislation called the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights, which is, you know, there's a lot to that, but to, to make it short, uh, what it will do is it will formally return authority over active duty wounded warriors back to the military services, that chain of command where it belongs, and it will also build in additional due process protections. So let me let me talk real quick just about why I joined and then just some of my service before, before we move on. So uh, I, I grew up uh, right outside New York City, my dad was in Manhattan on 9-11. He worked, he worked in the city for over 20 years. And uh, when that happened, I wanted to join right away, but I had gotten married. And uh, so my dad and some other people were like, ah, the wars are going to end pretty quickly. You know, just by the time you go through boot camp, it'll be over. So I had been accepted to law school, went to law school. Well, of course, the wars did not end. And when Pat Tillman, I don't know if you guys remember him, uh, NFL football star, gave up a $3.2 million contract to join the Army Rangers 
he was killed in action in 2004 and I was still in law school. And I was, I was convicted guys. I was convicted that I had done nothing to serve my country. You know, we were in, at war two theaters of war by that point. And I just knew that I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror, you know, being a, a young man at that time and I could serve. So I joined as soon as I got out of law school, only had intended to join for three years, uh, but got selected to be a JAG attorney for a battalion in uh, seventh group special forces uh, deployed to Afghanistan uh, with uh, them and Navy SEAL team five. So I was their JAG uh, legal attorney in the midst of combat operations also deployed to Iraq with uh, the 10th mountain division light infantry. So I was in the courtroom a little bit during my 12 year career, but most of the time I spent on the front lines with war fighters, uh, advising them on rules of engagement and law of armed conflicts in the midst, in the midst of troops in contact situation. Uh, so I really enjoyed what I did. And, uh, you know, I wish I could have gone 20 or beyond, but, um, the Lord had a, a different, different path for me to, to help others through my suffering. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service, man, and dedication and that sacrifice. That's huge. That's a great story that you felt that convicted and took action. I mean, that's awesome. And I feel like I, it reminds me what you just said about, you know, the battlefield advisement. And now here you are helping us out. And we feel like we're on the battlefield here at home that we're all seeing these tyrants try and make their rise. And we're figuring out ways to battle. And here you are advising us. So yeah. it's kind of just shifted. Yeah, when I, when I first heard about what you guys were doing, you know, it, it, it's, it did trigger something in me in a good way. Like this is very, this is very similar because defense health agency is this huge $50 billion annual budgeted bureaucracy with 10,000 employees. And then, you know, it's me like the little guy with the, the small nonprofit, you know, it's a David versus Goliath situation. Right. And what I've learned as I've, as I fought since 2019 is that, you know, Lord Acton, who, who was a, a great, uh, you know, English philosopher, he, he said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that, that's what I've seen with these bureaucrats. Like they have the power and if they go unchecked, well, it doesn't automatically mean that they're doing what's right. They just get used to their power. And if they go unchecked for too long, then they get full of corruption. And that's what defense health agency is doing. And that's what these board of supervisors have been doing in Shasta County that you're trying to recall. So it was very, very similar vein for me. What, what uh, does the, the DHA, are they a standalone agency or are they under uh, an umbrella like of the military or how, how does that work? Cause I had never, uh, thank you for asking before. that question. This is a perfect question. So uh, they report separately to the department of defense. So you've got like, you know, army, Navy, um, air force, space force, give the space force a shout out. Why not? Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they report directly up to SecDef, and then separately is defense health agency. And so that was part of my problem is actually all the military services agree with me. They've written a memo to the secretary of defense saying, Hey, DHA is bad news, but because the army and the Marine Corps and Navy, they're not over DHA, DHA is separate. This has been a problem. So uh, and unfortunately, guys, you know, where we're at right now, we've we've uh, well, fortunately, we've introduced the Wounded Warrior Bill of Rights to Congress six weeks ago. So uh, six, four, six, six, H.R. six, four, six, six, correct? Uh, six, zero, four, three, um, six, oh. four, six, six was our, our previous legislation. That, oh, that OK. okay. So, so six, zero, four, three. Uh, you can look it up on Congress.gov. Um, so we're very close. We're on the one yard line to passing this landmark legislation and making history. But. Department of Defense, 
is saying, hey, there's nothing to see here, nothing to do here, because they don't want Congress to get into their business with Defense Health Agency, even though the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force is like, yes, please have this legislation passed. So it's a very it's a very interesting and unique problem, and it will be very um, intriguing to watch how it plays out over the next year. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your injuries um, that you sustained while you were on deployment? Sure. Uh, so um, when I came back, I just began to uh, experience really bad brain fog, joint pain, uh, GI issues, uh, extreme fatigue, weight gain. Uh, I used to just be, you know, an elite soldier maxing out the PT test. And, but then I just kind of thought, ah, well, you know, maybe it's bad goat stew that I ate in Afghanistan. You know, I mean, who knows? I, I just thought I would bounce back eventually, but it just started to get worse. And then about three years after I returned, uh, like, and it's, it wasn't contagious, but I had these very terrible, like leprous skin lesions break out all over my body. Uh, so eyes, nose, mouth, uh, you know, some of the most sensitive areas and it was really bad. They thought I had AIDS. Uh, so fast forward a couple of years, I finally get to a, a specialist, um, in university of Louisville hospital. And, uh, they said, Hey, you have something called Bichette's disease. And Bichette's disease is very rare in the West, but it's indigenous to the East and especially people in Afghanistan or Turkey. So the doctors have surmised that on the deployment to Afghanistan, I was exposed to something called an environmental toxin, whether that was the sand, the air, the water, the goat stew, or even just the burn pits. You know, the military is you know, burning uh, trash and feces over there that's creating carcinogenic air. And so, you know, that could have triggered it. So it's just a, it's a multi-systemic, uh, they call it an invisible illness, because unless it's manifesting with the skin lesions, and, and we have that under control now, thankfully, uh, but it's all internal. So, you know, my doctors are like, you're, you have the, in, your internal organs are like those of an 85 year old man. Uh, so that, that gives me license to be cranky. So that, that's, that's the good part. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, what's but a, yeah, what's it's, a it's, a, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a terrible illness guys. And I'll, I'll get bedridden at times. Um, but it is what it is. You know, I just, I just got to keep fighting to get healthy and I'm grateful for days like today where I don't have as much brain fog and I can, I can talk with great Americans like you. Thanks wow. man. That's crazy. So, so, um, we, we're going to, in a little bit, we're going to have, have Will read the letter once he started representing us, but should we talk about, um, what led up to that, the FPPC and all that just so we, yeah. So I actually met Will, um, in early, or I guess it would be like spring of 2021, and at that point, I had received a letter from the FPPC that they let me know that Shasta County Supervisor Leonard Modi had filed a complaint with, about Red, White, and Blueprint saying that we, um, we weren't disclosing our, um, our funding source. And, you know, basically the, the law states if you're, um, if you're, you have to form a committee in order to in, engage in election electioneering or, um, and 
you know, if, if you make over a certain amount of money and spend a certain amount of money, you basically have to disclose like your all your income and outgo to the public. And this is kind of a big um, play by the supervisors. I mean, the, right after the first episode came out, um, supervisors uh, Leonard Modi, Joe Cimente, and um, Mary Rickert. Mary Rickert stood on the steps, did a press conference, talked about all this dark money that um, Red, White, and Blueprint was using. They were acting like it was <laughs> Russia collusion. It was crazy. <laughs> and John, yeah, John, had, he's, they were saying the public is going to be shocked when they find out where this dark money is coming from. And uh, and John heard about this live. It was live on Facebook. He was on his way to work, so he just flipped his car around, <laughs> drove straight down to the courthouse, walked in, or to the Board of Supervisors Hall, walked into the public meeting, wrote his name down on a card and then got up to the podium and said, you want to know where all this dark money's coming from? Ta-da. I'm paying for all this. And I started a company with some friends. We wanted to make a documentary that put a spotlight on local politics um, because, you know, we had been getting together at that point for a few months. And one of the themes, at least from my perspective, was I, I kept talking about the federal government and it's just I think a lot of Americans are like me where they when they focus on politics, it's like who's the president now? Who do we want to be the president now? And everything just kind of keeps going um, with with a total um, a total disregard to local government. But if you think about the way if you look at the way our country spends money and and um, all these major bills like the one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief bill that was passed recently, it all trickles down to state and then to counties and then gets spent in counties. I mean, it's the federal government's you know it's off in the clouds. This is our own backyard that we should be concerned about as citizens and and as a country. You know, our founding fathers, they talk so much about responsible citizenship that you can have this great experiment, but the only way you can have it is if you are informed and engaged and active because this is a country for the people, by the people. We elect these um, politicians to be in office, to be our voice on the county level, the state level, and the federal level, but the county level is something that has gone completely ignored. And if you can imagine any any business that if you if you start a business and you put people in charge of it and then you just completely ignore it and yet you're the the owner of that business you're the one that's profiting from that business and in a sense we as a community are everything around us is is our profit from that business whether it's good or bad if you just completely ignored that business and and let these other people run it it would go crazy you'd look in 20 years later and be like what have you guys been doing if it was even still around yeah if it was even still <laughs> Which around is kind of where we're at now yeah. and so when <laughs> exactly. i got this letter from the fppc i called them right away and i said hey we're making a documentary we're not a committee we're not um we're not campaigning there are other people doing that in shasta county and we're following them with cameras and what movies these days aren't political and you know and whether they're swaying some federal election in two, three years or a month, or they're swaying or they're into state politics or just politics in general. I mean, Hollywood is full of politics, even movies that you really don't 
maybe necessarily think are political. And then you dig a little bit deeper and you're like, wow, they were really pushing a message with this movie. They all are now, yeah. Yeah, and so... I thought, man, you can't just film uh, local politics anymore. You got to do all this crazy nonsense. No way. You're going to go after us. You got to go after Hollywood. You know, you got to go after every filmmaker if that's going to be the way, because we're just, you know, filming a local um, recall attempt by some by the citizens, and we're exposing things that are coming out. So I started calling different attorneys, and um, and basically ended up. Um, connecting with Will, and he's just like, oh, let me at it, let me at it. <laughs> and I loved what Will had been doing with Arc of Justice, and we really connected, and he said, let's write a letter to the FPPC and let them know um, our, our stance on this. And so that's what we did, and... Um, you know, and my conversations with the FPP back in May were really good. They said, "We understand your position. You know, we're gonna we're gonna open investigation. If you don't hear back from us within like the next two weeks, fourteen days, then it's probably nothing." You know, so anyway, Will wrote this amazing letter, and that's sort of when our relationship started. And from there, we've just been connecting, you know, on a weekly basis uh, on you know the the fight at hand. Um, and we look at Will's like, you know, a guy in our corner that's helping us and help him give us some direction and guidance along the way. Well, so, so they said, if you didn't hear from us for 14 days, it's probably nothing. And mm -hmm. that was eight months ago, eight months ago. And now we just heard from <laughs> Modi's Cats probably, out of the bag. Are we, are we, should we talk about that? Well, no, no, <laughs> well, Modi's probably been calling him every day for like the last freaking six months. You know what I mean? So they're probably just like, Oh my gosh. All right. Well, it is weird that you don't hear from these guys for eight months. And then all of a sudden we received your letter you wrote last May. And it's like January, middle, middle of January, 2022. We're like, what? Where have you Sounds like been? a government organization. <laughs> two, two weeks before the recall election. That was weird timing too. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if we should really talk about that. That's kind of like current news. Not, but I, but I think it, we need to have Will read that letter because that was epic. I remember you sent yep. that to me when we first got it, mm -hmm. and man, I made my wife and girls all come around and we read it. And my one daughter's taking a lot of law classes in college, and she's like, "Man, I've never seen anything like that." I mean, it was it was awesome. Well, well, thanks, guys. I I worked hard on that. Uh, so let, yeah, let me read it before I do. Uh, yeah, Jeremy, let's let's like you know since we're still kind of in the midst of uh, our discussions with the FPPC because either, yeah, it is government incompetence and bureaucracy that took them so long, or, you know, it's what the lady told you was true. Hey, 14 days, don't worry about it. But I, I don't think they expected recall Shasta to actually be successful in getting the signatures. So, you know, now there's kind of like an, Oh crap moment. Right. And so I, I think this has probably been reawakened again, but we'll, we'll find out. And, uh, you know, you can have me back on another time, you know, after, after we hash this out with them and we, yeah. we can talk about them, but I'm not going to disclose our strategy. No. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, I just want to be clear before I read this. So, uh, so thank you guys for, for letting me talk arc of justice. And if people want to find out more about that, they can go to arc of justice, USA.org, ARC of justice, USA.org. So now I'm shifting into, uh, my LLC called, uh, Deanna Keys action group. So this is totally, it's totally separate from the 501c3 nonprofit of Arc of Justice. Uh, so no, people are like, Dianikis, what the heck is that? Well, real quick. So everybody knows the story of the Spartan 300, you know, standing against a two million man Persian army. And Herodotus, the Greek historian, 
um, said that the bravest of the Spartan 300 was Dianikis because when the scouts came back and said, there's so many Persians, their arrows are going to block out the sun. Dianikis said, good, then we'll fight in the shade. And so <laughs> he, he just, he just epitomized this warrior ethos of just being willing to fight for justice and truth against overwhelming odds. And that's what I feel like, you know, Arca Justice was doing. That's what I feel like my DNA is. And that's why I gravitated so quickly to you guys with what you're doing. All right. So let me read, let me read this letter. Unless there's any other segues you guys want to do. I was just no. going to say um, in the last podcast, I, I well, the, the podcast that I, I looked you up on and listened to a little bit of, uh, about you, uh, you were talking about Rocky and and um, not that he was the best fighter, but that he just was willing to get up and just keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting. And, you know, that's something I like to harp on because it, it's really just everyday, ordinary people that make huge changes in the world. You know, it's not like anybody is really that much more extraordinary than others and there are some people that stand out but for the most part the people that make a huge difference are just the people that are willing to keep fighting and keep fighting and um yeah i just wanted to bring that up because i thought that was uh, amazing when i heard you talk about that and uh well not so. everybody can be as smart and good looking as we are <laughs> and they still should get in the fight you know True. so there's no, your, I, I love that, segue. guys. I actually, so I have I have young daughters. Uh, who, they're they're twins. They're about to turn twelve. They're in sixth grade, and so I always get out these whiteboards. You know, we homeschool them. They're in a co-op, but we mainly homeschool them. So I'm always teaching them stuff on the whiteboard, writing out quotes. And uh, I had a, a theorem for them, and it said, "Time plus truth is greater than tyranny." And and that's part of what Arc of Justice is from Martin Luther King's quote. And he says, "We shall overcome." Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And so if you have time and truth in your side and you are willing to fight and stay engaged, you will eventually beat tyranny. I firmly believe that. All right. Should I, should I go for it? Should I read this letter? Yeah. yeah sir. Do it. Okay. All right. So this is dated May 31st, 2021. Addressed to attention Angela J. Brereton, Chief of Enforcement Division at the Fair Political Practices Commission. Dear Angela, greetings. I have the honor of representing Red, White, and Blueprint LLC here and after RWB in the ongoing political conflagration in Shasta County. It's my understanding that you are currently investigating RWB for violations of state campaign finance laws and the use of dark money in case number 2021-00331. After speaking with my client, reviewing evidence, and watching the first three episodes of their documentary series, I can assure you that Mr. Leonard Modi's allegations are categorically false. In fact, I believe his actions meet the legal standard for both libel and slander under California statutes. Before I begin to enumerate why RWB has done nothing wrong and has actually fulfilled an essential mandate laid out in the California Constitution, it is important to let you know that my client wants to cooperate fully with your investigation. They have nothing to hide. Please contact me if you would like to interview any members of my client's organization. I'd be happy to arrange it. First and foremost, RWB is not an IRS designated 501c3 or 501c4 organization. They are also not a political action committee. RWB is a for-profit corporation legally formed under the laws of Nevada, and as such, they are not subject to campaign finance investigations. They are not doing business as Recall Shasta or Shasta County General Purpose Committee. Those are both separate and independent organizations. Essentially, RWB is a free agent in the marketplace of ideas 
and able to contribute to discussion in the public square, just like any other business or individual. This alone should be enough to quell any adverse outcomes from your investigation. Second, Mr. John Knight has stated publicly on multiple occasions that he provided the investment money for RWB. Mr. Knight is a private citizen entitled to spend his money how he wants in order to help a business launch. Ergo, there is no dark money involved in my client's ventures. There is nothing wrong, legally or ethically, with an American philanthropist giving money to start a business that creates media content in order to espouse a freedom of speech viewpoint guaranteed under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Citizens have been doing this in America since pre-revolutionary war times, and it is part of what makes our country exceptional. Third, even though my client has been unfairly maligned and wrongly accused of nefarious acts, the reality is the opposite. Red, White, and Blueprint is doing their civic duty by shining a spotlight of truth on alleged corrupt practices in the Shasta County Board of Supervisors. California would be a better place if more businesses took such a positive interest in the welfare of their municipalities as RWB is doing in this instance. In conclusion, I want to remind the FPPC that we live in the United States of America, the freest country in the history of mankind. Our founders formed the nation nation on the basis of ordered liberty and the expectation that its citizens would stay vigilant in the protection of that precious freedom. If RWB is guilty of anything, it is continuing the legacy of our founding fathers who wanted their posterity to stay engaged in the affairs of state in order to keep the flame of liberty burning brightly. I look forward to the report of your investigation. I'm confident since the FPPC is an impartial fact finder, not ripe with corruption, that you will find in favor of my client. If not, then I stand ready to activate Deanna Key's Action Group's vast and powerful network of allied legal organizations in defense of my client, and more importantly, in defense of freedom. While I have no desire to publicize DAG's significant victories, I assure you this is not a hyperbolic statement. As veritable proof to what DAG can accomplish, please review the pro bono work performed at arcofjusticeusa.org. You will see that my team thoroughly enjoys zealously advocating for anyone, wounded warriors or a civic-minded business like RWB, who are being unjustly attacked by a tyrannical government bureaucracy. I relish a good fight whenever those in power are encroaching upon a citizen's God-given unalienable rights and flagrantly committing acts of injustice. This is why both Arc of Justice and Deanneke's Action Group exists. Please contact me at warrior1 at reagan.com about any of the above. To reiterate, my client welcomes all questions. They will tell you the truth. Many thanks in advance. Fight in the shade, William J. Oston, Major, retired U.S. Army, Founder and Chief Action Officer, Deanneke's Action Group. Wow. <laughs> bomb, man. I Just feel- a bomb. <laughs> I feel like that's a was a document being presented to tyrants, um, you know, from a founding father. You know, I just it's that it's yep. that powerful. You yeah, know, it it's John Adams or timeless. Patrick yeah, Kennedy right. That stuff, man. Freaking epic. It's like yeah. a speech from the Patriot. Yeah. Oh, so how do people look you up if they're um, looking for your services at DAG? How do they look you up there? Yeah, so um, we're just on social media right now. It's just the, at Danikey's Action Group. Um, I'm still getting a website set up, and honestly. You know, part, part of the other of our nomenclature. Uh, so I worked with, you know, Army Special Forces, like I said, and uh, the Black Ops 
Delta Force. They're called uh, Combat Application Group CAG. Um, so I, I took that like, you know, DAG, CAG, and I kind of, with a, what I'm doing with you, I kind of like staying like a little bit in the shadows. I don't even know if I'm going to do like a public, yeah. you know, uh, website, but people can contact me at warrior one at Reagan at, you know, Ronald Reagan, R E A G A N.com. And, um, we're fully, we're fully an LLC. I formed it under Tennessee cause I've got a state laws, Tennessee. I got a lot of contacts there. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're leadership consulting, you know, doing what I'm doing for you guys, legal advocacy, but also going into an organization and seeing how we can maximize and improve their efficiency. So there's a lot of different stuff that I do, but what I'm doing for RWB, I really love doing. Well, thank, thank you so much. I mean, it is, that that's the most epic letter um, that touches me on so many levels, you know, and I follow a lot of legal stuff going on, whether it's the Supreme Court or the Fifth uh, Circuit District Court, or, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, things written by lawyers. And and I got to say, that's my favorite letter that I've ever read. Maybe I'm a little biased with it, but it's (laughs) it's epic. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I just want to say too, you've, you've been really fighting for us this whole year. And you're in uh, South Carolina, so it's hard for you to see like the day-to-day of what's going on here. It's been awesome for us to see what it looks like when a county um, starts paying attention and and starts getting involved and active, and, and even on both sides of it. I mean, the fact that people care, and I've met even people throughout this year, but even recently, that are totally fighting the other side but you know they reach out they want to get together and they say you know the one thing that i love about what you guys are doing is that people actually care it seems like for the first time you know nobody pays attention to who the supervisors are usually they go um is it unattested or uncontested they run uncontested yeah yeah, a lot of times they do, and you know, when I used to fill out the ballot, um, if ever there was a, a local selection or whatever, I would just be like, I'd look at my wife, hey, what, are you, who are you picking? She goes, nope, you can't do that. We're going to do a little research. And so we spent a few hours, and I was always, always like, oh, are you kidding me? We're going to research local politicians. <laughs> but now it's like people know. They know who every person is, and they can make a decision whether they like their policies, whether they like their their stances at the board meetings or whether they don't, but, but finally people are looking and there's a lot of people that would never ever in a million years put their name in the hat for a local supervisor or a superintendent of schools or jump on the school boards or, um, run for the DA's office or the auditor's office. And now people are coming out in droves. And so for the first time in a long time, there's a big list and the whole County cares. And so, I, I mean, that, that's one thing that I can say, if you can get outside of, of whose side are you on, like, to me, it's very hopeful to see this. And I, my hope is that it's not just for Shasta County, but through the documentary, other counties will start going, wow, I should probably do my part in this county and, and put my, my uh, political efforts into something that could actually move the needle in my backyard, you know? So Heck yeah. we cool. thank you so much, man. It was great having you on with us. Um, and uh, yeah, let's catch up soon. 
Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in today and, um, you know, listening to our story and what we got going on here in Shasta County. Um, you can uh, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Rumble, Facebook, YouTube, and more importantly, um, we have all everything that we do is on mountaintopmedia.com. That is mountaintopmedia.com. And that is where you can find everything that we do. So if we get canceled off of uh, one of the other platforms. We, um, do. we do get knocked off of Facebook and yeah, YouTube and Facebook knocks us off pretty good, but you can you can go to mountaintopmedia.com and find everything there. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys.